Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Chapter 23. If anything, the healed version of Deliritus was even harder to deal with than the injured one. The dragon hadn't been joking about him needing rest. Deliritus was so lost to sleep that Baz would have thought him dead if not for the occasional rise and fall of his chest. Moving him was like dragging an overstuffed sack of potatoes. Even rocks had a difficult time of it, caught between a desire to get him to safety and to be as gentle with him as possible. Eventually, they managed to get him onto Aramir's back. They'd have to leave the horses, though Aramir said he would return for the creatures. He seemed to have a soft spot for the beasts, and became quite angry when Baz had suggested killing them, rather than let them roam to their deaths in the Firelands. Before leaving, Baz strapped the saddlebags to each of the dragon's sizable forearms. Rox was already on Aramir's back, holding Deliritus, so Baz strapped the bookpack onto his own back. He eyed Aramir with silent consternation for several moments before sighing and pulling himself up onto the book dragon's back behind Rox. Aramir's spine was too broad to straddle like a horse, so Baz just sat with his legs stretched out before him, grabbing tightly to the tufts of fur that lined the dragon's back. As soon as Baz had secured himself, the dragon bent its knees, preparing to take flight. Baz shut his eyes and squeezed at his handholds until his fingers ached waiting for the inevitable lurch of gravity that would threaten to knock him from his seat. It didn't come. Eventually, Baz opened his eyes, thinking he must have misjudged the dragon's movement and that it hadn't yet taken off. Shock caused him to nearly lose his grip on the dragon's fur. They were hundreds of feet over the Firelands, drifting through the air as smoothly as a schooner gliding over open water on a clear day. Baz redoubled his grip and fought between competing sentiments of abject terror and a hungry need to take in the amazing sights around him. They headed east, the marsh of the Firelands stretching in every direction. Looking south, he could just make out the inkwell and the charred stumps of the reach beyond. They had been there just a couple days before, but it seemed years. Look! Rox yelled, pointing north. Baz followed the man's pointing finger to see a stone tower jutting just over the horizon. What remained of the great library of Tome, their destination. It was difficult to comprehend. Of course, Baz had always known that the ruins of the once great city existed, 
but it was always spoken of as a thing of the distant past, a time long gone. Seeing it in person, if only from a great distance, put a sense of awe in Baz's belly that was at once exhilarating and nausea-inducing, for he knew he'd soon be headed there and facing the dangers it held. It also meant that, one way or another, this journey was coming to an end, and that meant facing the reality that a reader of erstwhile knew that he was a cuss. Maybe Deliritus had proved to be not quite as bad as Baz had always thought, but he still worried over what the Torchsire heir would do once he was no longer dependent on Baz to complete the trials. Baz tried to put such thoughts out of his head, completely unproductive. He wouldn't run. He couldn't leave Tax behind. And as much as it rankled him, deep down he knew that he owed it to Deliritus now. The Torchsire heir had saved his life when it would have been much easier, even understandable, for him to just stand by and watch Hellar cook him to a crisp. Rox might not think the oath Baz had made enforceable under his enigmin code of truth, but Baz had made a promise, and he intended to keep it. As they continued to fly east, Baz noticed something unexpected below them. There were pockets of greenery, not many and not large, but dotted here and there across the landscape were little bastions of uncorrupted grass and trees that had somehow avoided succumbing to the all-consuming swamp that surrounded them. The homes of my kin, my kin, Aramir said, as if reading Baz's mind. Your kin? Baz repeated in surprise. Yes, Aramir replied voice growing sad. I know there are not many, fewer each year, each year, but we do what we can to keep the power of the scribes alive. The one part of my oath to them I can still fulfill, still fulfill. Baz tried to picture more than one book dragon in the same place and couldn't, shaking his head in wonder. It was like stepping back into an age of myth, one where all the world's wonders hadn't been lost to the burning. What might the world he knew be like if these creatures went forth into it, rather than residing like hermits in their time capsules of an era long past, lamenting a failed oath? But Baz could relate. After all, he hadn't wanted to leave Torchsire Library and surely the book dragon's sanctuaries were nicer than that. A frown crept onto Baz's face. Why did that thought make him feel guilty? These book dragons might actually be able to make a difference, but what could he do other than ensure that he kept breathing? Not long after, Aramir began to descend, touching down on a patch of green that seemed somewhat larger than the others they'd passed over. If not for the sky's reddish tinge, it would have been impossible to say they were deep within the Firelands, as the area looked like any lush clearing one might find in the woods immediately surrounding erstwhile. 
the noticeable absence of the constant sludgy slushing of the firelands caused Baz to pick at his ears. After having grown so accustomed to the noise, it seemed wrong not to hear it. Large oaks were scattered about the clearing, ordinary squirrels and chipmunks jumping through the branches. A family of deer grazed off in the distance, and the horses, dozens of them, galloping about the green, open spaces, or munching from hay racks that hung from trees or wooden fences scattered about the grounds. The air smelled fresh, wholesome, like this clearing was a stronghold of truth within a sea of lies. As Baz dismounted and helped rocks lower Deliritus to the ground, the largest dog Baz had ever seen trotted over to the dragon and licked its giant face. It was all black, save for white around its paws and muzzle. Baz could have easily ridden it like a small horse. Good boy, Novel, good boy, Aramir said to the mutt, reaching out a paw and patting the dog gently on the head. After accepting the dragon's praise, the dog turned a wary eye toward Baz and rocks, the beginnings of a growl thundering deep in its throat. They are friends, our friends, the dragon assured the dog. It gave them another wary glance, then lumbered a short distance away and lay down, though its eyes continued to watch them. There's so much, well, life here, Baz said as the dragon faced them. Aramir seemed to frown, though his face couldn't really move into such an expression. The downward twitch of his mustaches and dropping of eyebrows gave a fair impression of displeasure. I see how one young as you might think as much, as much. But this is the merest fraction of what this land used to be, to be. Come, we'll take your friend to my cave so he can rest properly. Rest properly. The cave was not far from where they'd landed, a wide opening between a rock formation at the center of the clearing. The entrance glowed with an inviting white light that seemed to beckon Baz on. As he approached the entrance, he saw that it was illuminated by glass spheres resembling the lamps in Liana's workshop, except these floated in the air, hovering not unlike how Aramir flew through the air. Each was like a tiny sun, together lighting the cave just as if it were outdoors at high noon but the inexplicable light fixtures barely even registered with Baz for the cave's interior, which was large enough for the dragon to move about with ease, was lined from floor to ceiling with bookshelves. Full bookshelves. More books than were likely possessed by all the libraries of erstwhile combined, even counting the trove of books owned by Xavier. Banners decorated what little wall space there was, not covered by shelving, deep blue edged in gold, with a book and feathered quill stitched at the center, the lost sigil of tome. 
Several man-sized reading tables and chairs were pushed to the back of the cave, obviously of no use to the dragon, though they appeared to have been impeccably maintained. Baz could find no words for quite some time, and even rocks seemed shocked at the unthinkable display of wealth and power. If anyone knew this trove existed... Aramir, Baz finally stammered out, where did you get all these books? The dragon's eyes roved sadly over the shelves. It is what little I was able to save from the great library before the shelves fell. Shelves fell. So little of so vast a collection. I, please, don't make me speak further of it. Of it. It grows dark soon, and I must see to my animals. There is human bedding at the back of the cave. Lay your friend down to rest. To rest. With that, the book dragon turned and began to leave the cave. Uh, Aramir? Baz said, mind finally punching through the shocked haze that the book dragon's lair had caused. You wouldn't, um, happen to be willing to let us take one of these books, would you? The book dragon stopped moving for a moment, then spoke without looking back. They are not mine to give, young orator. I merely hold them until he who writes returns to claim them. Claim them. He who writes? Aramir sighed, glancing back at them. You really know very little, very little, though perhaps I am unfair to one so young. Knowledge takes many years to acquire, to acquire. He who writes is Prant V. Lextor, librarian of tome, prefect of salts, keeper of the inks, protector of the sheafs. This was his home once, home once. He walked these very grounds, wearing his robes of elemental colors, wrote at the tables in this very cave, this cave. Baz felt his mouth hanging open once more, a common occurrence that day. When he said nothing, Aramir seemed to take it to mean Baz had no more questions and left the cave. Of course, Baz had an infinite number of questions for the book dragon. He just couldn't process what Aramir had said quickly enough to select a single one to ask. Finally, he turned to Rox and murmured, He was talking about the enigma himself, Rox. Aramir knew him? The most powerful of the three scribes? Rox only shrugged as if he heard such things on a daily basis heading deeper into the cave and laying Deliritus on a feather mattress he found there. There was a folded pile of bedding beside the mattress. Somewhere at the back of Baz's mind, he wondered how Aramir managed to fold sheets with his giant paws. Rox carefully wrapped a sheet around Deliritus's sleeping body, taking care to tuck the fabric beneath his chin before standing and giving a great stretch. Then the harbor unstrapped his mask, letting out a small sigh of satisfaction, and sat at one of the tables at the cave's back. 
for want of anything better to do, Baz joined the large man. You really believe what Aramir says, Rox? That he's older than the burning? Seems impossible to me. Illumined ones honor the truth, Rox said. They followed the founder of my home city. They have the same values as Enigmans. Aramir does not lie. His words mean what they mean. Hmm, Baz said, plopping onto a chair at the same table as Rox. I suppose you'd know more about that than me, but maybe he's giving us the old double meaning. We hear one thing when the words really mean something else? Rox shook his head. What reason does he have to deceive? And he is clearly one who suffers the symptoms of a broken oath. How do you figure that? This whole place, Rox said, motioning around at the cave, and the animals he cares for. He seeks to recompense for an oath failed. It is the only way to find truth after you have lied by fulfilling a greater oath. Though if Aramir's oath was as great as he says, a sufficient recompense will be difficult indeed. <laughs> Baz scoffed. Sounds arrogant to me, thinking that he was responsible for the loss of Tome. Aramir said himself he was young, for a dragon anyway, at the time it occurred. He can't have been solely responsible. Seems overblown to still be making amends after all this time. Oaths are serious things, Rox growled. Baz raised his arms into the air. Not saying they're not, not saying they're not. But just because the purpose of an oath is extinguished doesn't mean you're responsible, does it? What if Deliritus died in his sleep from a disease? Would you be a liar? Of course not. Totally out of your control. No causation linking you to his demise. Rox scratched at the unshaved stubble along his jaw. When you truly devote yourself to a truth, Rox finally said, you feel blame for its loss, no matter the cause, he finally said. That's no answer, Baz said. Guilting yourself for something outside your control doesn't create any true responsibility for the loss. That's a lie. Rox huffed a contemplative sigh. Have you never suffered a failure that troubled you deeply, even though it was out of your hands? I... Baz trailed off. That terrible day, ten years past, came to his mind, vivid as if it had just happened yesterday. If Baz could just have kept his mouth shut, maybe Tax would have talked his way out of the situation, wouldn't be retired, and Baz wouldn't feel... I wish you to know I am sorry, Rox said. Baz looked away from the harbor. No, Rox, don't. The large man continued as if he hadn't heard. It is the only thing I've ever done since I was old enough to understand a truth that I worry was a lie. I was younger then and thought Deliritus right that Yeltax had to be dealt with for Deliritus's protection. Rox looked down at his hands. I still think it was consistent with my oath, but I do worry, and I am sorry for what it did to you. You can't possibly understand, Baz said, eyes to the floor, blinking furiously. Rox remained quiet for some time, 
giving Baz time to get a hold of himself. Finally, the harbor said, I lost family once, too. I was young when Deliritus's father acquired me. I had a mother and a sister at Alexa Stonebinder. She cried when they took me away, and I promised her that I would return one day. Ever since, my oath to protect Deliritus is all I've known, but someday I will fulfill that vow to my sister. Oh, Baz said. He'd never actually taken the time to think on it, but Rox, too, was a slave, just as Baz was, a slave with his own tragic past, and some reason, at least, to not be entirely loyal to Torchsire. He wasn't just some mindless dog. Well, Baz said, I don't forgive you for tax, but maybe you're a bit less of a lout than I thought. Rox chuckled, a sound not unlike a distant earthquake. But, Baz continued, we're not friends. That cut the harbor's mirth short. We're going to do this thing for Deliritus, Rox, together. I owe it to him as much as it burns my soul to admit it. We'll go to Tome and get that book, and you'll keep me safe because Deliritus is depending on me. Rox nodded gravely. But what about after? When I turn the book over to Deliritus and we return to Erstwhile, and he decides to turn me into his father as a cuss, what then? Deliritus swore he would not do that, Rox said, as if personally offended. Baz shut his eyes, leaning his head against the back of the chair. Is he more dedicated to the truth or to his father? Baz opened his eyes to see Rox regarding him with a cold stare, but the harbor offered no reply. Don't take it personal, Rox. Deliritus is a product of his environment, and I know at the end of the day you'll have to support him. I won't take that personally but friendship under such circumstances is a fanciful dream. Rox continued to glower at him without speaking, making Baz squirm in his seat. Come on, Baz said in a light-hearted tone. Let's cook up some food and get some sleep. We're going to Tome tomorrow. He stood and headed out of the cave to start a fire. Rox followed, though Baz could feel the man's glare on his back the entire way. It unsettled Baz, knowing the harbor actually had a heart beneath that killer's exterior, and even more disconcerting that rocks could actually relate to Baz, maybe even understand him. Baz just hoped rocks didn't understand him too well. All right, friends, welcome back. D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Today is Sunday, May 8th, 2022, as I record this, which is episode 17 of the book club. A uh, big personal update for me this week is I uh, ran my half marathon yesterday that I've been talking about over the past couple of months. Uh, the Ellicottville Happy Half, for those wondering. Uh, Ellicottville or uh, EVL, Evil. <laughs> Uh, as the locals call it, is a, it's a nice ski resort community about 40 minutes outside of 
<clears throat> Buffalo, New York, uh, and being a ski town, uh, not quite as flat as I might have liked for uh, for running, but I uh, still uh, reached my goal, if just barely, was uh, aiming to complete the race in 210, and crossed the line in a blistering 209.58, <laughs> so uh, there you go, the training paid off. Uh, a couple of big hills there really got me toward the end of the race. Um, if you're a runner, you you know how disheartening it can be to, <laughs> to run into a big hill at the very end of a race, uh, but still managed to pull it out and some lessons learned for, for my next um, <clears throat> race here. I was certainly uh, certainly gassed by the end. <laughs> I had to, uh, to kind of just collapse to the ground for a few minutes as soon as I crossed the finish line, but uh Got a nice big chocolate chip muffin into me and uh and some water and uh, I was I was good to go for the rest of the day. My legs are still uh <clears throat> still a little sore, but uh I'll go on a walk later and uh stretch them out. So right. Um for those of you who uh who read their weekly uh newsletter, which you can sign up for at DTKane.com, uh you'll know that I uh, like to compare running to writing since they're both kind of uh endurance sports or at least endurance activities uh, and persistence really pays off in both of them so i uh I like how they complement one one another and kind of analogize both so they uh it it works well <laughs> in 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 my routine plus running is good exercise and a good way to get outside though um Sometimes it can be tough to get out there when it's freezing cold out like it's been for the past few months. But um, weather seems to be finally turning around here. Uh, other than running, I'm continuing to work on part four of the Spoken Books Uprising. I'm in the home stretch of that now. I started working on um, the, fin- the finale section, really part three of the book, but probably like the last 20,000 words, I would guess. Um, so I should have my first draft done by May 20th. That's the goal here. So uh, 12 days from now, I've got, I've got a decent amount of writing I need to get done, but hopefully I'll power through it here because uh, I am going to be out of the country starting May 21st for two uh, whole weeks. Uh, and uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the episode here. But for now, why don't we hop into our analysis of chapter 23 here. All right, he wouldn't run. That's our first heading here. Uh, so Baz and company fly away on uh, Aramir, the book dragon here. He's definitely got some strong magic going on. He's got no, no wings, and Baz can't even tell when they've lifted off the ground. Well, partly because he has his eyes shut, but he also doesn't feel it. And uh, you know, before he knows it, they are flying over the Firelands, soaring over them. Uh, better. A better verb there, right? Soaring. Uh, And there are a few interesting sights to take in. Uh, First, we get our first glimpse of Tome, the spire of the great library poking over the horizon. Awe, exhilaration, nausea. (laughs) Certainly a very bad bad thing to say here, uh, combining those things. Uh, Though, uh, to be fair, his emotions are kind of certainly running the gamut here at this point. You know, it is uh, an amazing sight seeing something that Baz has ever really only heard spoken of as a historic relic. But it uh, also marks the approaching end of the journey here, right? You know, 
Um, you know, this tower is a symbol in <clears throat> uh, more than one way, certainly the culmination of what we've been building up to here thus far. And seeing it really drives that reality home for Baz. He's going to have to go face the dangers of the ruins there at the cityless, who apparently dwell in and around Tome. And then after that, he has to worry over what Deliritus is going to do to him once um, the trials are done. So he's got that worry <clears throat> at the back of his mind. Um, but Baz also finally admits outright to us that he owes it to the Lyrtis to finish the trials for him. You know, he acknowledges that uh, you know, it would have been easier and maybe even understandable if Deliritus hadn't saved him uh, from that fire breather that Hellar had uh, mind-controlled. So Baz is uh, maybe finally letting his guard down here just a little bit. It took certainly an extreme... Um, extreme event for that to happen but isn't that the case with a lot of things you know it's easy to ignore problems until something really serious happens that prevents you from ignoring it any further or any longer and that's uh you know that seems to be what happened here with Baz <clears throat> took the lyric is almost dying <laughs> for him to grasp that oh maybe uh you know maybe I've been a little too hard on him um, the other notable sights as we're flying over the Firelands on Aramir's back are these pockets of greenery spotted across the, you know, the otherwise desolate landscape. Remember, the Firelands are just like a big, a big swampy bog, um, and Baz is surprised to see little, uh, what does he call them, uh, little bastions of uncorrupted grass and trees that had somehow avoided succumbing to the all-consuming swamp that surrounded them. You know, and so what are these? They're book dragon dens, Aramir tells us. So there's there's more than just Aramir. There's more, lots more book dragons, it seems. Uh, though he does note there are fewer each year. Uh, and what, what's happening to them? Not clear at this point, but Aramir does say, you know, there's, you know, a few of them die off uh, each year. Um, you know, is it old age? Is something else killing them? Um, we don't know. But regardless, uh, Aramir tells us they're doing what they can to, quote, keep the power of the scribes alive. What does that mean? Well, hold that thought for a second. I think we, uh, it doesn't come right out and say it in the text, but you'll see in a minute, I think, what, uh, what that means. But first, uh, comfort. That is um, the next little uh, section of analysis I've labeled here. Baz gets a little surly for a moment, not a totally uncommon occurrence for him, to be sure, but uh, happens here. Um, he gets to thinking, how might the world be different if the book dragons actually went into the world instead of hiding in the fireman, the firelands, lamenting a failed oath? Uh, but then he realized he's not unlike the book dragons in that regard. He didn't want to leave his home either, despite not really liking it, um, and this bothers Baz, so he can't really put his finger on quite why, um, but this is sort of a hidden big moment, um, for him, maybe it's not quite apparent, um, upon first reading, but, uh, it's the first time that Baz actually realizes, uh, it's maybe not right to just sit around in comfort when there is good to be done out in the world, you know, he's sort of looking down on the book dragons, who are obviously very powerful creatures, but they're just sitting around while the world kind of uh, has a bunch of injustices. But they are not doing anything to stop that. Um, and I think this is, a, this is an interesting concept that I find particularly uh, important. 
um, both in my, uh, you know, both theoretically and in my actual daily life. You know, the question, do we live for comfort or do we live to chase our dreams and do something meaningful, um, which often involves at least a bit of discomfort? Um, it's an interesting idea, right? Uh, you know, we like curling up on the couch with Netflix on a, uh, on a, on the night or at night after we've, uh, done a hard day's work. But, um, you know, is that what we actually want our life to be? You know, cause it's a, what we do, uh, what we do each day, uh, you know, is, is our life, right? <laughs> you know, that, that it once sounds obvious, but it's also, uh, kind of troubling if you, uh, you know, you realize maybe you're not spending your valuable time uh, quite as you uh, as you should be to achieve what you actually want to achieve. Um, I actually have a post-it note on my monitor here that says, uh, and uh, cover your ears, young children out there, <laughs> if anyone's listening, but uh, fuck comfort. Uh, the, the, but the post-it note says, you know, helps, me, uh, helps remind me to not get uh, complacent, you know, uh, chasing what you actually want in life can sometimes be uncomfortable, but, um, you know, you got to embrace that discomfort if you want to get to be where you want to be. And then, so just, uh, I'll take off my philosophy cardigan here <laughs> again, metaphorically speaking, um, this time, but, uh, getting back to the story here, you know, Baz is finally realizing, well, you know, if I'm going to throw shade on the book dragons for hiding in their little holes, you know, maybe I can't just be obsessed with uh, staying breathing, and that's my only concern. If there's something else that I can, uh, if I can do that's worthwhile. <clears throat> um, all right, OMG books. Um, our next section here. So we land in Aramir's clearing, and it's like an oasis, uh, even bigger than the other sanctuaries Baz saw from the sky. Which I suppose that suggests something about Aramir, right? Uh, why is he the book dragon with the biggest layer, even though he was so young at the time of the burning? Um, you know, he's even got a bunch of animals, squirrels, chipmunks, deer, and horses, and a giant dog, Novel. Novel the dog. Of course, a book dragon has a dog named Novel, right? <laughs> um, uh, but despite all that, you know, Baz is kind of amazed. Uh, it kind of seems like a, you know, they're in the uh the center of this desolate landscape but this is a little you know a little slice of uh normal or even you know more beautiful than normal uh landscape here but you know aramir is still depressed when baz comments on all the life in the clearing this is the merest fraction of what this land used to be to be so you know aramir is so old he remembers before the firelands were the firelands right when they were a uh, you know, a green, a green oasis of hot springs. Um, Bass told us a few chapters ago that's what the Firelands were like before the burning. Um, so <clears throat> we move on to Aramir's uh, house, or at least house in quotes. It's really a giant cave. Uh, glass spheres hovering in midair supply the light, um, which you would probably think ordinarily is uh, quite the sight, right? Just uh, these big glass baubles uh, hanging in the air with nothing uh, holding them up, apparently. Um, but uh, Baz barely notices those because the cave is full of bookshelves, and all of them are full of spoken books. You know, they're packed in there. 
more books than in all of erstwhile baz says um and i guess this is uh, hinting at keeping the scribe's power alive like aramir said earlier uh he calls these books what little i was able to save from the great library before the shelves fell uh so little of so vast a collection uh, you know, driving home the point that spoken books, they weren't always as rare as they are uh, today, right? You know, many were destroyed during the burning, and remember, others were destroyed by Beliritus's ancestor during the second burning. Remember, uh, Actus Torchsire, he, uh, you know, he kind of led this uh, crusade to collect all the books and consolidate them with just the readers, but he destroyed a lot of them too to keep them out of the hands of uh, ordinary folks so you know Aramir seems to be uh you know he's holding on to these books um and he kind of hints that he's expecting the scribes to come back one day which is um interesting you know is that superstition or does he have more reason to believe that you know we don't really get into that more here um well <clears throat> maybe just a little we do get into it you know for an instant Bass sees all these books and he sees a he sees a way out right you know <laughs> way out of going to tell him, you know, Aramir, could I have one of these books? You know, huh? just give me one and I can go home. Um, but Aramir says he can't have any of the books because they aren't his to give. Uh, he's just looking after them until he who writes returns to claim them. He who writes, who is that? Well, it's Pront v. Lextor, the enigma, of course. Um, well, maybe not of course, but that's what Aramir tells us. Of course, this shocks Bez, since Aramir is talking like he knew the man. Um, and this is kind of the final evidence for last week's quest, where I asked you uh, the name of the book dragon in the prologue. I told you that was Aramir in the prologue. You know, he is holding on to books he personally saved from Tome. And he says, you know, at least he implies that he knew the enigma. So more strong evidence here that um, the book dragon in the prologue and Aramir are one. And the same, he is the same dragon from the prologue. And, you know, again, you know, uh, you know, he is holding on to these books until he who writes returns to claim them. So isn't, aren't, didn't the scribes all die uh, during the burning? Um, you know, maybe it seems Aramir maybe doesn't think so. So, hmm. Let's not uh, let's not forget that because that's certainly going to be uh, significant later on here. Um, just real quick, Rox also notes. I think I alluded to this previously, but this might actually be the first time the text comes right out and says it. But the the book dragons were followers of the Enigma, which is why uh, Enigmans worship them. You know, the Enigma founded Enigma City. That's where Rox is from, and the book dragons were disciples of the Enigma. Uh, they do not tell lies, just like Rox and his people. So that's why uh, that's why Rox was kind of treating Aramir like some holy figure when they when they found him there last week. Um, all right, and then our last section here, which is kind of a lengthy discussion, uh, but lengthy because uh, you know a lot of deep stuff going on here. I wish you to know, I am sorry. Uh, so now we get back into some philosophy. Everyone put your cardigans back on here. Uh, Rox notes that Aramir is suffering from the symptoms of a broken oath. That's why he has all the animals. He's trying to, uh, you know, make up for his failure by caring for, for all of them. 
What does Rox tell us here? Uh, it is the only way to find truth after you have lied by fulfilling a greater oath. Um, you know, remember at the beginning of the chapter, we find out that Aramir was, <laughs> he was actually angry and Vaz suggested killing the horses. You know, Vaz is like, well, you know, we're just going to leave them out here to die in the Firelands. Maybe we should just put them out of their misery. But Aramir says he's going to go back and rescue them later. So uh, Aramir is trying to make up for what he views as uh, his failure uh, in permitting the Great Library to fall, which starts an interesting discussion here. Baz says that's kind of arrogant of Aramir, thinking he alone is to blame for the burning. He was young. Surely he wasn't solely responsible. Uh, is an oath broken just because its cause is extinguished? You know, Baz argues, uh, uh, no, not K-N-O-W, but N-O, no. <clears throat> Baz argues the answer to that is no. Uh, if there's no causal link between your actions and the end of an oath, then, you know, you didn't break your oath, right? You know, if Deliritus died in his sleep from a disease, would Rox be guilty of breaking his oath? Um... Bass says no, but Rock says uh, when you truly devote yourself to an oath, you feel blame for its loss, no matter the cause. Of course, Baz shoots back, you know, guilting yourself for something outside your control doesn't create actual responsibility for the loss, Rocks. Come on, that's a lie. Um, have you never suffered a failure that troubled you deeply, even though it was out of your hands, Rox says. You know, and of, of course, Baz has. He's been in this position before with his brother. Um, and we really see some of Baz's, uh, you know, regret and uh, the guilt that he is carrying about with him all these years later. If only Baz had kept his mouth shut all those years ago, maybe Tax wouldn't have been retired. Remember, um, you know, Tax was kind of trying to talk his way out of um, that book being found in the speaking room all those years ago, and then Baz kind of just blurted out, oh, he wasn't going to hurt anyone. Uh, and that kind of, like, sealed the tax's fate. So all those years later, Baz still remembers, oh, if I could have just kept my mouth shut, maybe Tax could have talked himself, talked his way out of that mess. Um, but it's interesting, I, you know, I don't, unlike our philosophical discussion, I think, was that two weeks? I think that was two weeks ago now, where I actually put on the cardigan. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure Baz and Rox are really arguing here. Rox doesn't necessarily disagree with Baz's point about actual responsibility. Really what they're debating is whether it's right, you know, right in quotes, right, right, to feel guilt over a failed promise that was out of your control. Um, and it's a little bit of a paradox here, I think. The logical answer seems no. Uh, you know, if you couldn't have done anything, why feel bad? But, you know, the paradox here is, if you're truly dedicated to a cause, how could you not feel bad about it failing? Because if you didn't feel bad, wouldn't that suggest there's some dishonesty in how dedicated you were to the cause? Because how could you not feel bad if you wanted it, uh, if you wanted to see it through and it failed? Um, so is the logical path here actually a sign of dishonesty uh, in this instance? Um, interesting. It's, it, it's circular. Is it right to feel the guilt um, or not? Uh, I'm not sure I have a straight answer here, but just trying to be a little thought-provoking. Of course, then, you know, Rox is like a mind reader here. He knows Baz is thinking of his brother, and, uh, and Rox just comes out and apologizes. 
for hurting tax. You know, maybe didn't quite see this coming. But, uh, oh, rocks, if we didn't love him already, we love him now, right? You know, he's got regret um, over what he did to Baz's brother. He's He, wor- he actually worries. It wasn't consistent with his oath. Um, was Deliritus truly endangered by tax? You even hear, you know, Rox is trying to assure, kind of reassure himself that, um, I still think it was consistent with my oath, but I worry. Um, you know, Baz, of course, says, you know, you can't possibly understand what it was like to lose, um, a brother, Rox. But, uh, you know, our giant teddy bear killer here, uh, surprises us once again, saying, you know, he has lost family too. Rox has his own backstory. Uh, when Deliritus's father acquired him, uh, him being Rox, he left behind a sister, Adalexa Stonebinder was her name, or I suppose is her name. Uh, presumably she's still alive. <clears throat> uh, and he has sworn an oath. Um, he has sworn an oath that one day he will return to her. And this is, this is kind of a, a big tidbit here too. Uh, a huge bit of news. Uh, Rox has actually sworn another oath that's potentially conflicting with his promise to Deliritus. Um, and he, you know, it certainly seems he was brought into the Torchsire's service against his will. You know, when they took me away, he says. Um, so interesting. Uh, Rox, maybe some mixed motivations here toward Deliritus's family. And, um, you know, this isn't going to become hugely relevant in the rest of this book, but um, certainly, certainly this is not the last you're going to hear of Rox's uh, estranged um, sister, and it's certainly interesting in any event to kind of get a little glimpse into the uh, kind of the tragic past of Rox here. Um, so Baz and Rox kind of connect here for a moment over their past losses, but of course Baz cannot let this nice moment last. Uh, maybe you're a bit less of a lout than I thought, and Rox chuckles at that, but we're not friends. <laughs> what happens when we get back to the trials, Rox? Or get back from the trials, Rox, and Deliritus wants to turn me in for a cuss. You know, and Rox gets defensive. Deliritus wouldn't go back on an oath. He said he wasn't going to do that. But Baz then asks whether Deliritus is more dedicated to the truth or his father. And, uh, of course, Rox does not answer that, which in uh, is its own answer, really. <laughs> you know, if uh, if Deliritus thinks it'll please his father, is, uh, is he going to err on the side of keeping his oath or pleasing his father? And we've seen that despite how, uh, you know, perhaps uncaring Deliritus his father is, he is certainly uh, looking to, to to make the man proud, so... Baz recognizes his, his, his uh, wow, really stuttered on that. <laughs> Baz recognizes this, and so does so does Rocks. So it's kind of hard for them to become friends or even really um, allies, except out of necessity here. When Baz knows that Rocks is ultimately going to side with Deliritus, <clears throat> which could be quite detrimental to Baz. Uh, though. Uh, even here, there's a, kind of a funny little thing. So even though Baz is throwing Rox's effort at bridging the divide between them back in his face, Baz still shows some some growth here. He doesn't really blame Rox uh, or Deliritus. It's not like he's angry here. He's just sort of resigned. Uh, Deliritus is just a product of his environment. I remember his brother said this back in the beginning of the book. Uh, 
is echoing what Tax said. Baz seems to have finally adopted maybe a little bit more of a mature attitude. First, we saw at the beginning of this chapter, finally admitting that he owes his life to the Leertes, and thus he's going to finish the trials. And now noting here, well, you know, the Leertes might be part of this upper echelon of the slaveholding society, but, you know, geez, he was born into this. Generations of people before him have done this. You know, he is a product of his environment. I can't can't necessarily get mad at him. What is it? What did Baz say earlier? It'd be like uh, getting mad at a cow for for chewing cud. It's just what they do. (laughs) Um, Doesn't make it right, but also, uh, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting paradox here. That's really all Dell has ever known. Um, But still, uh, him and Rox really can't be friends when uh, when they both know that at the end of the day. you know, Rox could end up supporting Dell, ordering Baz to be executed for a cuss. Um, you know, even though Baz silently admits to himself that Rox has a heart beneath his killer's exterior, and that maybe Rox even understands him better than anyone else Baz knows, because, you know, Rox has this tragic backstory we learn with the loss of uh, a close family member. So, uh, certainly lots of tension here. Baz. Baz's life view can no longer be so simple as just hating, hating Deliritus and Rox for what they did to Tax. You know, people are, people are more complicated than uh, a single act that they may have taken, no matter how bad that action was. Um, and Baz is beginning to come to grips with that reality. And uh, that ends chapter twenty-three here. Um, all right, so. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I'm going into vacation mode here um, for the next few weeks. Um, taking a two-week trip to Europe starting on May 20th, 2022, or the 21st, actually. <clears throat> um, but never fear, you're still going to get an episode each week, um, but they're going to be a bit shorter because I, you know, I only have so much time to record. I really need to record like four episodes. Um <clears throat> in the week before I leave to make sure we've got enough for them to keep coming out each Monday. So next week, which is episode 18, will be uh, just uh, chapter 24. I'm not going to do any analysis after that. And then the same for the following week, episode 19, will be just chapter 25. And then episode 20 will then, uh, there will be no new uh, reading of the novel that week. It'll just be my discussion of chapters 24 and 25. Then episode 21 will be chapter 26, which is a pretty short chapter, and my analysis, so kind of back to a usual format, though that will be a short episode. Um, and then that, by then I will be fully back into the swing of things, back from vacation. Um, and that's all going to be leading up to a very significant and very long chapter 27. Um, so that's going to be a bit of a, a marathon episode for when I get back, so you'll have that to look forward to. But there you go, so you are all just aware of what the 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 episode lineup is going to look like here for the next few weeks. Um, and then that leaves us just with our quote of the week to wrap it up here. Um, and this week's quote is from Joe Abercrombie in um, his wonderful novel, The Blade Itself. 
Um, the more you learn, the more you realize how little you know. Still, the struggle itself is worthwhile. Knowledge is the root of power, after all. Um, and I wrote a few words about this in the newsletter this week. Being told to, quote, enjoy the journey is an overused cliché. But clichés tend to be clichés for a reason. There's truth buried in them. It's easy to become obsessed with the next thing, and the next thing after that, and so on ad infinitum. But what is living if not the present moment? That's all we have. The past is gone, and the future never guaranteed. So stop and smell the roses, or feel the sunshine on your face, or actually taste that morning coffee. Embrace the present and take power back from the stress of life, the stresses of life. Um, so there you go, our quote of the week, and my little essay to go along with it. And uh, it's a nice day out here today, so I think I'm going to go feel some sunshine on my face now. So as always, thank you for listening out there. And until next time, this has been DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. What might the world he knew be like if these creatures went forth into it? rather than residing like hermits in their time capsules. Capsules? The time capsules? <laughs> Ugh. Thanks for listening to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it, and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. DT Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com slash books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for DT Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com slash email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, you can find DT Kane on Facebook at DT Kane Author or Twitter at DT Kane Author. Or send DT Kane an email at DT Kane at DT Kane.com. See you next week.